one o'clock. It's a blessing to see the Lord doing a work, whether it's revival that's going on in Asbury or uh, having a prayer meeting tonight at 5.30 here in the church. But you are here for one o'clock, and the title of our message is The Eye of the Storm. So when you think about a hurricane in life, the eye of the storm is this unique space. Now, if you don't have a Bible, our servants team will get you one. You've got to raise your hand to get it, though. So raise your hand. We're going to be reading in a moment. We're going to stand and read from Mark chapter 4. So we'll be starting at verse 35. But in our anchored series, as we are sharing the word, the eye of the storm is this unique space in a hurricane where on the inside of that, there's this perfect calm. Now, all around it on the front wall and the inside wall and, and, and the horrendous winds, recently Hurricane Ian smashed into uh, Florida right at Cape Coral. And those who watched it, now I've watched on the news, hurricanes hit the Gulf, um, whether it's Hurricane Katrina, my heart went out to the guy that you know, he built the earthquake-proof house, he thought, over in Northridge, and then the Northridge quake happened and destroyed his earthquake-proof house. He was so devastated from the whole failure of it, he moved to uh, the Gulf Coast, and then a few years later, Katrina came and wiped out his house. Now, I would think God's trying to talk to me through earthquakes and storms, right? If I move from coast to coast... And it's like something's chasing me, right? It's the Holy Spirit trying to go after somebody's heart. And uh, my nephew works for the National Weather Service. He goes up on, in airplanes, and they're literally um, government storm chasers that go, and they release these um, little electronic things that measure things into storms. And that's what he does with his life, which is it's pretty cool. And... Uh, but I've never really, you know, you watch hurricane stories. It's over there. You don't have hurricanes. Where I'm from in Idaho, you have a severe snow, cold weather. That's pretty much it. But all of a sudden, Hurricane Ian changed my whole perspective. You know why? Because, you see, for years, my wife and I, for 30 years, we've been married 36 years, but I've flipped homes through the years as a, basically a side hustle to support me in ministry. I did it for years. We'd have to move. Now, the, the bummer, most people that flip homes, you don't have to move into it, live in sheetrock dust and go through the whole. Well, that's not what I had to do. I'd have to move into every home I was going to flip, and then I would have to do the remodel. I mean, we're just in a mess of a house, and yet my wife is, is great with it. And so we would flip these homes. Well, over 30 years of marriage, we had saved up this little nest egg, and I thought, you know, our children and grandchildren, they spend a lot of time in Cape Coral, Florida, so we bought two condos there shortly before Hurricane Ian came to visit. And for the first time in my life, I cared about hurricanes. I'd never cared about a hurricane before then. They said it's going to hit up a Tampa. It's going to hit below. They never know where it's going to hit, right? The last minute it veers right, it veers left. God's in charge. But it was a direct hit. Now, my wife, right before it hit, my wife had flown to New York, helped my kids pack because they were moving to the new condo that we had purchased for them. So they had packed the house. They got it all in boxes. They're ready. But they're watching, Ian, because you don't know where it's going to hit. Sometimes nothing happens. Something some big happens. You know, no, no. So they're ready. And then it's 
a direct hit. The water surges, destroys and damage and all kinds of stuff. And so now the condos are messed up. So they can't move. They ended up moving into a larger house just down the street where they lived in upstate New York. You see, storms have a way of directing your life or affecting your life in unique ways. And all of us in our lives are going to go through storms. And the Bible uses storms as this illustration that works in the lives of people like circumstances, right? Circumstances affect our lives. In the scriptures, you have storms and the focus is preservation, right? The story of Noah. The Lord says, Noah, a storm's coming. And so you get the heads up in advance. Wouldn't that be great? You get the heads up. How, how long is that heads up? A hundred years because he's got to build a big boat. That's what I'd say, a serious heads up. Now, it's not a big deal if you're 100 and you're going to live to 950 as Noah was. I mean, he didn't even get the command until he was 500. He's an experienced midlife guy at 500 years of age. He hasn't bought the Maserati and lost the top three buttons of his shirt yet. But, you know, he's in this midlife place. It's like, you know, I could have a midlife crisis or I could build a boat because a storm's coming. But that preparation preserved what we have today of humanity in the animal kingdom. Sometimes God gives you the heads up, a storm's on the way, so that you can get ready for what's coming. Sometimes, as we see in the book of Jonah, a storm is for correction. The Lord told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to preach there. But Jonah didn't want to go tell the Ninevites because he knows the God he serves is gracious. And if he goes and preaches, his greatest fear is those Ninevites that he wants to burn in the hottest place of hell, that God might save them. And that's exactly what happened. He knew God's nature. So he ran the other way. It says he went down to Joppa. He went down into a boat. And ultimately, he's going to go down into the ocean because a big storm came up. And the sailor said, why are we in this storm? The first thing they think of in circumstances is, what's God trying to tell me? You ever have that experience? Right? The wheels are coming apart in your life. And you're like, God, are you trying to talk to me through a storm? <laughs> and so the sailors go, how come we're in this storm? And they all ask and they all pray to their gods and they, they all kind of sense that it's, it's none of our fault. And they go down and they find this Jewish prophet down in the belly of the ship and they said, hey, wake up, you sleeper. You're sleeping through a storm. And he, why are we in this storm? He goes, it's my fault. He said, I'm running from God. You're the reason we're in a storm? He goes, you know what? If you guys want to get out of the storm, you throw my carcass overside, overboard, and you're going to be fine. And they don't want to do it because it's like, let's, I mean, we don't want to make God any more angry by killing this Jewish prophet. But finally, the storm even gets worse, so they toss his wretched. Now, if you were a good, wouldn't you just jump overboard yourself? No. Jonah is such a stubborn prophet. He's like, no, you pick me up and throw me because I'm not going. So they throw him over. He's out in the ocean. And it says, immediately, the storm stopped. And the sailors went on their merry way. Because it was a storm of correction to bring correction to Jonah. It wasn't over for him, right? Because now a great sea creature swallows him up. He has a three-day unair-conditioned ride. <laughs> says with seaweed wrapped around his head. And he's so stubborn it takes three days for him to repent. 
Now, when I saw the creature coming, I would be, God, God forgive me. Not for him. He sees it coming. Da-dum, da-dum, da Three days. Very stubborn. So it's for correction. He finally gets thrown up on the shore. <laughs> now, go do your job. Sometimes God allows a storm because you know that you're walking in disobedience and God brought the storm to put you back on track. Right? God does that. He did it in the life of Noah. But there's also storms for salvation. In Psalm 107, it says these sailors went through this terrible storm and, and they were afraid for their life. And then they finally cried out, oh, God, save us. And God saved them. You see, sometimes it's a storm that brought you to Christ in the first place. Some of you were saved through a crisis. You went through this divorce. You, you lost, somebody died tragically. You had some dramatic thing happen in your life. And that's what brought you to Christ. That's what happened to that guy that wrote probably the most famous song in Christian history, Amazing Grace. Right? This individual was a rugged sailor in the middle of a storm. And in the middle of a storm, he cried out, John Newton, for God to save him. There's also storms for perfection. James tells us, count it all joy when you go through various trials because patience must have its perfect work. You and I are getting stronger and growing in our relationship with God because we've been through some junk in our life and God's been faithful. You go through hardship, you get stronger. You go through hardship, you get stronger. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There's also storms for direction. Well, what if, what if God wants you get you from point A to point B, but right now you're really not listening, right? You're not tuned in. You're very, you're fat, dumb, and happy where you're at. So the Lord has to bring a, a little wind to just change the direction of your life. The boss comes in and gives you a pink slip and says, sorry, we no longer need your services. You're like, what? I just got fired. No, you just got set free for the new adventure God has for you. Because the Lord knows as long as you got this cool, cushy job, you don't want to go anywhere else. That's what happened to Paul the Apostle and a group of sailors in Acts chapter 27 and 28. The Lord wanted to take them to an island of Malta. These guys were stubborn. They shouldn't have been sailing that time of year. And this strong wind took them all the way to the shores of Malta so that all the people on that island could hear about the goodness of Jesus. And that island, where they landed there on Malta is known to this day as St. Paul Harbor. God brought them in through a storm to that right spot. But today, we look at the storm, the eye of the storm, for revelation. And that is to reveal what's going on in your heart and in your life and your perspective when you go through the adversity and circumstances of life that God allows to come your way. Let's stand and read this in Mark chapter 4, picking up in verse 35. On the same day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took with him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, 
Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Lord, we ask in your kindness, in your love and your mercy, that you would meet us, your people, and that you would feed us and teach us through one of the most difficult things that we experience. Lord, going through storms. And I know there are some in this room just because that's the way life is that are really going through hardship right now, relationally or emotionally or physical issues, financial issues, confusion, a lack of direction. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to us from your word that we might be nourished to have a handful of promises to hold on to when we go through these storms about your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... As I mentioned, our condos were damaged. They now lay gutted and uh, with no progress whatsoever because our HOA is in a lawsuit with the insurance company that is rejecting most of the claims that are taking place in Florida right now. It's a big, fat nightmare. But I'm not sweating it too much. I'm just trusting the Lord. I'm like, well, in the end, it's going to be better. God's going to work in it. My wife and I are both in that place. And people might ask why, because you see, we've been through a lot of storms. We had a rental home one time that burned up, (laughs) literally, uh, after our uh, Christmas Eve play that we put on. And the stars that were in the play, it was their home. They were renting it from us. They were young 18-year-olds that were just married. They had grown up in our church. They are renting the home. And I get a call at 1030 after an incredible event at the church. It's about six below zero outside in December. And uh, Joe... The, the young man said, Pastor Rick, I don't know how to say this, but I'm looking at your house and 20-foot flames are coming out of the top of your house. <laughs> and I said, are you, in, are you and Hannah okay? And he goes, no, we're, we're fine. He said, but your house is burning up right in front of our eyes. You might want to come see. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, <laughs> you know. So... So my wife and I went down there and we're on the sidewalk and the firemen are doing their thing and and we were just sitting there and I said, well, I've been preaching for years, you know, it's all going to burn and here it is burning right in front of us right right now, right? And the four of us just started laughing because they're they're safe, they're okay, right? They're just newlyweds, but they were really, they were really troubled because they were, they're both exceptional musicians and they have a lot of investment in music equipment. And so the fire trucks are just drowning the place in water, right? So in every room, they're punching through because the, the, the fire started in an attic. They punch through, and they're squirting up, and they're squirting down, and they're trying to get this under control. But once we finally went in, the flames were out, we are going to go out, go in and see if we could rescue their music equipment, like at 2 in the morning. It's 5 below. I mean, there's icicles already from the water just instantly forming inside the house. And we opened the, the spare bedroom door, and all their instruments were in that room. And it's the only ceiling they didn't break through, and the only one where water didn't come through, and all their instruments were fine. In the midst of the storm, for, for them, they were so blessed. Yeah, and so, so was I, because I was, you know, obviously concerned for this, this young couple and what happened. But we went through that, and the process, in the end, 
It all was a, a ginormous blessing that I would have never understood at the beginning. But we just hung out onto this promise all the way through. All things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And my wife and I just hung on to that. We've never had a house totally burned down. Have you? It's a new experience, right? <laughs> I had never had a house that's been totally destroyed uh, as far as, you know, the inside is gutted. The structure's fine. Two condos that are, all the sheetrock's now ripped out. The cabinets, everything. Because you see in Florida, when things get wet, mold is the enemy of everything in the heat of Florida. So I've never had that experience, but I'm in the middle of it now. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. <laughs> because all of these things ultimately draw me closer to the one I love, the Lord Jesus. Or, as the enemy would like to use it, as something that drives you away from God's love through bitterness and anger towards God. You have a choice to make when you go through the adversities of life. I'm mad at you, God, for letting this happen. Or, Jesus, please help me. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you. Those are two separate responses. The one is fruitful and transformative, and the other is degenerative. It takes you into a dark spot. Well, we want to learn the lessons because, you see, this storm for the revelation is going to reveal some things, a handful of lessons that I believe are so simple in nature and yet so profound when applied to my life that the disciples are going to learn, and you and I are going to learn them as well. And that is, the question that Jesus had for him in verse 40 was, why are you so fearful? And number two, how is it that you have no faith? And can I just ask you, because if you're in the middle of a storm, these two questions right now are very relevant to you. Why are you afraid? Today, if you are filled with fear for any reason, Jesus' question to you prompts you to be able to speak out the fear that's going on, the anxiety that's going on. Why are you terrified inside right now? Jesus is asking because he wants to know. And if you will speak it out and bring that to the Lord, he can begin to transform that fear into faith. But he's asking two things. Why are you afraid? What are the circumstances that are making you afraid? Number two, how is it that you have no faith after everything I've already done in your life? Right? For us who have walked with the Lord, sometimes when I get fearful and afraid and faithless, I get so ashamed of myself when I actually analyze it in a very logical way. Like, what am I thinking? right? God has been so faithful. He's taking care of me through thick and thin, and this little bitty thing I'm freaked out about? What's, have I lost my mind? So the disciples, they're in a tremendous storm, as we see it all laid out. But the first thing that, Jesus, that stands out to me in this passage is in verse 35. His word can be trusted. On the same day it says, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. He didn't say, let us go to the middle and sink. Let us go to the middle with no life jackets and drown. Let us have a titanic experience in a very little boat with no icebergs in the lake. He didn't say that. You see, when Jesus calls you and I, and he says to us, hey, let's go over to the other side, or I want you to do this, or I want you to embark on this. I, I want you to step out in faith. He doesn't give you a word of promise and then bail in the middle of it on you. 
So his word can be trusted. The promises of God, the word of God, the word of Jesus in this passage was let us go to the other side. Now, that's a fact. If Jesus tells you you're going to the other side, you know what? We're all going to the other side. Amen? Amen. Okay. And I find that people in the midst of the storm, if you don't know the promises of God, when you go into the storm, you're at a loss. Right? Because then you're just left to your own emotional resources and your own uh, human thought processes. You see, faith is not ignoring your outward circumstances. I mean, they're in a storm. But it's simply keeping your eyes on the Lord and hanging on to his promises in the midst of it. So the first thing is, is you can trust the promise of God in your life. If he promises you that all things will, will work together for good for you, if you love God and you're the called according to his purpose, raise your hand if you love God. Awesome. Is that promise for you? Yes. And you notice in that promise that he does not say some things work together for good. He didn't say the good things work together for good. He said all things. And in the Greek, all is all. For you linguists that might miss it, okay? All things work together for good. So there's nothing that can come, this is so important, there's nothing that can come into my life now as a child of God that is not filtered through the fingers of my God in heaven that loves me. Everything that comes to me in my life is by permission from God. And somehow it's going to produce good, even if it's difficult, even if it's hardship, even if it's sickness or disease or loss or, or, or adversity, tribulation, whatever it is, the Lord allows it to strengthen me. You see, your life is like signing up for the gym. The gym is a weird place that we pay money to go hurt ourselves. It's a very strange place. Now, where do I pay to go hurt myself, right? Because I have my... My muscles are under resistance. They're under strain so that they will get stronger. Correct? That's, that's how it works. If you don't use your muscles, they atrophy. If you use them, they go stronger. So everything that God is going to allow into my life, like Job, when Job was going through his own storm, Satan said, you have put a hedge about Job, and I cannot get to him. Now, that's a great picture, isn't it? There's a hedge around you. Satan can't get to you. But then one day God says, okay, drop the hedge. You're like, oh, please, Jesus. Do not drop the hedge of protection. Because God's bragging on his boy Job. I mean, he really is. He's an upright man, blameless. I mean, hates evil. I mean, he's just he's stellar. And so God is bragging on his son, Job, so to speak. And it's almost like, Lord, if you're a little bit proud of me, any day of my life, would you please not brag about it and tell the devil and lower the hedge. Because I don't want to have that experience. Because you and I, honestly, are just cowards that don't want to go in through any difficulties, right? We're not masochists. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We, don't, we like everything to be smooth. Nobody rocked the boat. We just want a nice, peaceful, lazy life. But it doesn't produce any growth. So the Lord knows that. So number one. His word can be trusted. God's promises matter. Number two, he cares for you because what does it say at the end of verse 38? <laughs> I love it. In verse 37, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it, <laughs> that it was already filling. So, I mean, they're not blind. They're skilled. Most of them 
A majority of them are fishermen. You see the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long at its, its longest point, and it's uh, eight miles wide at its widest point. At this specific spot, because we know where they're at, at Capernaum, where he's going to, Gadara, it's about five miles that they're going to go across. And a, a body of water going five miles is still significant. And the Sea of Galilee is known for sudden storms because there's Mount Hermon, which is this very, very tall mountain. And you guys understand wind, right? Wind is simply the unequal heating of the Earth's surface. If you go through piloting school, you learn atmospheric things. It's the unequal heating of the Earth's surface. So as it Sun shines on this side of the mountain, but not on this side of the mountain. Heat rises and cold air descends. So wind is simply cold air descending and hot air rising. Right? Simple. But if you're at Mount Hermon, very high mountain, and the Sea of Galilee is very, very low. It's like right at sea level, basically. And it comes, the cold weather comes rushing down. And the hot weather is going up, and it creates these tremendous storms on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, it's well known when you're in Israel, and if you're around the Sea of Galilee, they'll have these pictures of, I mean, quite impressive waves coming to the shore from these horrendous winds. So the wind is intense. The waves are beating the boat, so the boat is filling up with water. So you're going to start bailing, right? You're going to, you got, you got, <laughs> very ineffective, Right? If you're a sailor, this is not a picture you want right here in a bad storm. And then it tells us it was already filling. So, I mean, there's a significant amount of water already getting into the boat. So they, they're actually holding off for quite a while with their panic. And then it says in verse 38, he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Jesus is sleeping through the storm. He's, he's got a my pillow from Mike Lindell. He <laughs> bought an even dozen. He's cozied up there, right, with Mr. My Pillow. And he's exhausted. The thing you notice about Jesus is that his humanity and his body, because he did not lay hold of his deity, though he was the God man, God in human flesh, he he was exhausted. He got hungry. He got weary. His, his body, he grew up from an infant. He went through the awkwardness of puberty. Jesus is this incredible human that experienced life as we know it, except without the experience of sin. And he's deity. He's God in human flesh. But he was so exhausted from morning to night. When he, when he served these people, it's so draining to minister to people and to teach and to lay hands and heal and all these things. And he gets in the boat and just, he just crashes in the midst of it. And he's sleeping so hard. And that's the first thing that you think about. Here we're in this tremendous storm. They're all waiting for the waves to kind of wake him up, right? When's he going to get a, a, a big dose in the face and wake him up? When I was a, a youngster, I went sailing out of Santa Monica with my uncle and my stepdad, and it was in this little sailboat, and the water got really rough, and I'd never been on the ocean, and I got seasick, and I just, oh, I'm going to throw up. And he says, well, just lay down on the bottom of the boat. So I laid down on the bottom of the boat and put my coat under my head, and he threw a, a canvas over me, so when the water was splashing over from the waves and stuff, it's kind of bouncing off the canvas, so it really wasn't getting on me. And I slept like a rock because I was feeling so sick, I just kind of passed out. And in this picture, they're wanting him to wake up. And what do they say at the end of verse 38? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They woke him up. 
You see, Jesus had promised them, he told them, he declared to them, we're going to the other side. So Jesus is asleep. Yes, he's totally exhausted. He's sleeping, but he's not concerned because he knows they're going to the other side. Yes, there's wind. Yes, there's waves. And the boat's taking on a little bit of water, but they're going across. But they wake him up because they, they don't have the confidence in his promises. They don't have the confidence in his word. They, they themselves are looking at the wind, feeling the wind, feeling the rain, seeing the water fill up. And they're looking at all of the circumstances, and they look at him, and what is he doing? Nada. Right? He's not helping with the water. He's not braving and looking out, you know, like a George Washington scene of crossing the Delaware. No, he's sleeping. And they wake him up and they tell him, don't you care? And when you're going through a storm, that's the first thing you think of. God doesn't care. And the devil amplifies that. And he whispers in your ear, you see, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. God doesn't let stuff like this happen to you. You know, you're just obviously, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't see your loneliness or he doesn't see your heartbreak or he doesn't see the awfulness of your situation. See, God doesn't care about you. The devil is great at maligning the character of God in the Lord Jesus. He loves to lie and whisper in your ear that God doesn't care. And we know that God cares. And Jesus is with his disciples in the boat. Even when Jesus was not with his disciples in the boat in another story, because they have two great storm stories, right, in the, in the Gospels. The other one is he sent his disciples out into the middle of the storm. And then he came walking towards them at two in the morning on the waves. And they thought it's a ghost. Talk about freak you out, right? We're already afraid of dying, and here comes the grim reaper on the, on the water coming to take us. Whoa, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, no, it's me. It's me. And Pete, you know, Mr. Boldness, if it's you, I want to walk on water. Like a little. And he goes, well, come on out. Some people say there's only one person that ever walked on water. That's not true. Pete walked on water. We don't know how many steps he took. I mean, maybe he's a good 50 feet away from the boat. Looking back at the other disciples because they're always talking trash. Look at me. I'm out here on the water with the Lord. Scaredy cats are in the boat. Then a wave slaps him in the face and he sees the wind and he... Blub, 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 blub. Jesus does the one-arm curl, pulls him right out. Pete, why are you down, man? Puts him back in the boat. But the incredible thing about all of this whether it's when Jesus is in the boat with you, and if you love Jesus, Jesus is in your boat, folks, and he cares about you. I, I don't know what heartbreaking things going on for you right now. I'm watching stuff in the news, and something that's really breaking my heart because I'm such a dad and a grandpa. Watch what's happening to these kids and these, the kid that got beat up on the bus, and then there's these like terrible, brutal things that are happening in the school to children. It's, just, it's heartbreaking. This girl was bullied on social media and killed herself, took her life because of it. Man, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in this generation to be able to ask one thing about when people talk trash, but then they put it on social media and you're just, they just destroy you. And if you're in that place and you go, man, and you know Jesus, Jesus cares about that. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Now, he's meaning in proximity. The more your heart is broken and the more, greater your need, the Lord moves closer to you. If you say, I don't need God, I'm good. God doesn't encroach on your space. But when you're brokenhearted and you're longing and reaching out to the Lord, he is near. The person, I promise you, because of the promise of God and the revelation of God, that whoever is the most brokenhearted person crying out to God, sitting here in the quietness of this room, God is the closest to you. He is the closest to you. And yet the disciples said, why don't you care? Maybe that's what you've been thinking, even though the Lord promises he's close to you. <laughs> You're saying to him, why don't you care? He does care. He really does. You know that saying, I mean, it's almost cliche because we've seen it for so many years. It's, a, it's an unknown author that did the footsteps in the sand, right? You got these two sets of footsteps, and then there's one set of footsteps, and the person says, Lord, I've looking back over my life, I realize that in the darkest times of my life, you left me. He goes, no, in the darkest times of your life, I carried you. I carried you. You, you wouldn't have made it without me. I carried you. Now, granted, I think some of us in this room would have to rewrite footsteps in the sand, <laughs> and it would be called two skid marks in the sand, Right? <laughs> Where the Lord's dragging you through all, all of your stubbornness through life. Who are those skid marks? They're yours. <laughs> There's sometimes we're walking together, sometimes I'm just dragging you through. But the challenge, I think, for, for all of us is this, this reality that, that God does care. And in his love, he cares. Even when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar looked back and he said, Hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he said, but the fourth looks like the Son of God. In the midst of their trial, Jesus is walking around with them in the fire. He said, it is one like the Son of the gods, as the polytheist uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar declared. In the darkest times, in the hardest times, Jesus is in your boat, and he's even closer with you. And it's almost like in that story there in the book of Daniel, he had to call them out, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, he had to call them out of the fiery furnace because you see in the midst of the fire, the intimacy got so close to the Lord that it was almost better to be close with Jesus and in the trial than to be outside of the trial and more distant from Jesus. There's a person that my wife and I know uh, and care deeply about who's going through a very difficult time and she's never experienced anything like this and and she's uh, got herself in some trouble. And she says, I've never felt close in all my life to Jesus like I am right now. The Bible's come alive. The service has come alive. There's this closeness to God. And she said, as this trial subsides and I come out the other side, I just don't want to lose this. The Lord's care and that he's with her in those circumstances. And he's going to bring her through. Thirdly, in verse 39, we see that he's in control. And I love this as Jesus wakes up, right? We just woke up the Lord. He has to give up his my pillow. Verse 39, and he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Imagine the turbulence and the storm. You know how loud wind is and, and the roar of the wind and blasting in your face. And when Jesus arises out of his sleep and he rebuked the wind and he said, Peace be still. It literally means be muzzled. 
He tells the wind, shut up. And it just goes, no wind. (laughs) Right? From this stormy wind to a dead calm. Now that alone would just freak you out. Right? He says, be still. Be muzzled. I want peace. And then he... And says, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Both the water and the wind immediately came to this supernatural calm as the creator of the universe in human flesh exercised the authority over this. And the way that he speaks in this situation, he rebuked the wind and said, peace be still or be muzzled. It's the same word that he said every guy that was demon-possessed, when they tried to speak to Jesus, Jesus would say, be still. But it was this Greek, be muzzled, put a muzzle on it. And I want to hear from you, you demons speaking out of this man with an exception of the guy that had the legion of demons where he was going to basically set him free. So understanding whatever the circumstances you're going, who's in charge of your life? The Lord Jesus. Is he in charge no matter if everything else is out of control? Yes. So you're going through life and it seems like these people are the, you know, maybe you're being sued by this individual and, and this person's putting pressure on you and you have this conflict over here. And yet above all of that, the Lord Jesus is in charge of your life. Nothing can happen in my life unless the Lord allows it to happen. No doors can open that he does not open. No, and if a do- the Lord opens a door for me, nobody can shut it. And if he shuts a door for me, nobody can open it. Growing in your understanding of who you serve is the most transforming thing when you're in the midst of a storm. It's almost like you're in the eye of the storm, which is the center, like I said. Now, there's strong winds all around you, but in the eye of the storm, you're trusting the promises of God. You're trusting that he cares about you in the midst of your difficulties, that he loves you intimately, desperately, And that he's in control even of your circumstances. And he can intervene at any moment. Isn't that great? (laughs) So that's one of the most troubling things about your trials. You know that he can intervene and put a stop to it right now. And you're like, Jesus, why aren't you? (laughs) Right? When you're in the middle, you're like, Lord, nothing's too hard for you. As I've sat with parents, there's no more difficult Ministry, than ministering to mom and dads whose young children have died. None. It's out of order for parents to put their children in the ground. It's very difficult. And when you sit with them, sometimes you, you have no words. You just sit there and you just cry with them. You just weep with them. You don't know what to say. And so often they'll say, God is able to prevent this. God could have. He's all-powerful. And this is the conundrum we find ourselves in, right? That we serve this intimate, loving, all-powerful God, and then this tragedy happened in our life, and why didn't he intervene? Why? Because according to his will and his plan, that was a part of his plan. Do I understand it? No. Do I comprehend it? No. Do I always see how it's going to work together for good? I know that it's going to work, but I don't always see the end result because sometimes it's down the road. So being able to trust God, even then, 
when I, th- this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my Christian life, is that when I am so bummed by the confusion of why God didn't intervene in something, and that I'm challenged that does he care for me, and I know he's in charge, what I have to do when I don't know the why is I have to follow, fall back on what I do know. This is crucial. What I do know is that God loves me. What I do know that God is going to work in this. What I don't know is how it's going to work and when it's going to work and what the comfort looks like after this. I, I just don't know. So you have to fall back on what you, don't, what you do know. Because I have this really thick file I've shared with you guys before. I have a really thick file of things I don't understand. I put it in that file. I don't get bitter by that. I just simply, God says, my ways are above your ways. They're above your finding out. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways above your ways. So I don't always see things. You know, I have this little, you know, three pounds of gray matter that thinks it's really smart. And, but I'm, I'm not very smart. Because, you see, I, I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. Right? I have no insight. So when I elevate my intellect or my understanding or I demand a why to the omniscient, all-knowing God that knows the future, and I say, I demand an answer, he's not obligated because I call him Lord and I'm his servant. He's not obligated to answer me. So I just put it in the file. I trust him with it. Lord, I don't understand this. Your ways are above my ways. They're above my finding out. I trust you with this file. And one day, when I get to heaven... I'll understand these things. And depending on how long you've walked with the Lord, that's how large your folder is, <laughs> right? It's a bright, big, fat folder. <laughs> and when you're a pastor and ministering to literally to thousands of people for many years, a lot of those people are a part of my questions in the folder. You know, how, how do I answer this mom and dad? I don't know, but I came to pray and cry with you. That's about all I can do and trust God. So we can trust his promises. He cares deeply for us. He's in total control, and sometimes that's the conundrum that he could intervene, and when he chooses not to, it must be for his best plan or his best purpose. Right? Job didn't know what God was going to do. In rapid succession, he lost all of his wealth, and he lost 10 of his children in one event. Imagine losing 10 kids. I can't imagine losing one. Right, losing 10 children at one time. So he's lost all of his wealth. He lost his camels, his donkeys, his sheep, his, like everything. And then he lost his 10 children. He said, well, the Lord's given, the Lord's taken away. He doesn't understand. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And I'm like, dude, who are you? Yeah. Right? I mean, he, he doesn't even have this book. He doesn't even have it in Romans 8.28. Right? It's not written yet. And he's trusting God. He, the Lord has taken everything but his lovely wife. And his lovely wife says, do you still hold on to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? Like, Thanks, honey. I, you know, I just needed that word of comfort. <laughs> Having my coffee, devotions, praying to God. My wife says, why don't you curse God and die? Well, there's a reason the devil left that little chick behind because she was, a, she was a very effective instrument in his hand to discover a man. But you have to understand, my wife always comes to Job's wife's defense. 
Honey, she's blinded with grief. She just lost 10 kids, right? Ladies, you're, you're with Job's wife, right? She just lost 10 kids. And you might say, curse God and die <laughs> But he doesn't know in the end he's going to get twice as much wealth and he's going to get 10 more kids. Somebody said, well, he got twice as much of everything. Why didn't he get twice? As, well, because twice as many kids would not be a blessing. Right? <laughs> 10 kids is plenty. But he, you see, the thing is, for Job, he doesn't know the end of the story, and you don't know the end of the story either. Because you're not dead yet. You don't know what the next decade is going to bring about in your life. And you can either go toward that next decade with bitterness and resentment, not believing God's promises, not thinking God cares, not thinking God, why didn't he intervene? But this question brings us now full circle back around in verse 40. Why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid today? Let me just ask you. If fear is dominating your life, even in the last three years, we've had an unprecedented time in our country. Why are you afraid? Well, I'm afraid for my job. I, I, if I don't get vaxxed, I'm going to get, lose my job. You know, all this stuff. Why, 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 why are you afraid? Well, actually, I'm just afraid that I'm going to be able to take care of my family, that we're able to eat, right? And the Lord says, don't be afraid or be anxious. Don't worry about anything because the Lord feeds the birds of the air. You say, well, that's not really comforting. It is if you think about it. Like birds wake up every day and they have no cupboards with groceries. <laughs> you think about it, right? Birds wake up. They wake up in the morning first. They're so happy. They're just praising God. Oh, God's going to, you know, they're going over here and get to see. I mean, they just like cruise through life. And, and they're just happy. Singing up a storm. God's taking care of them. They got a just song of praise on their beak. And he says, well, well, I hope we're clothed. And he goes, well, look at the lilies of the field. Even Solomon in his, all his glory was not arrayed like these beautiful flowers. If God can feed birds, you guys, that have no 401k program. <laughs> and if God can clothe the lilies of the field, that the fields, the flowers are here today and they're gone tomorrow... You are much more valuable than the birds. You are much more valuable than flowers. God is going to feed you. God is going to clothe you. So stop worrying and being freaked out. Why are you afraid? Does it make any sense when you magnify who he is and his amount of love and provision that he promised to us? It makes no sense. And yet I find myself as a human getting afraid all the time. Freaked out. Because isn't it something how quickly you forget? I had a wonderful devotion this morning. I'm ready to take on the world for Jesus. And by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I've totally forgot everything I just learned in the morning. Because depending on your circumstances, when it hits you. Lastly, in verse 5, who is he? In verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were terrified by the storm thinking they were going to drown to death. And when he says, peace, be still, and a calm comes, he, they get freaked out with a different kind of fear is that we're in the very presence of God, <laughs> right? It's from, I'm going to die to, oh, no, I'm going to die because I just saw God. I mean, it's pretty overwhelming. If you're out fishing with a buddy and he can stop the wind and the waves, there's something significant going on, right? It's not just the Red Bull he's drinking. I mean, there, there's like... Like the dude's got some mojo that is a little bit scary, 
But the reality is, is that they're discovering two things. Now, earlier in verse 36, it says, they took him along in the boat as he was. Now, this is an interesting phrase because as he was, was dead, exhausted. He goes to the boat and just goes to sleep. And so now they see his deity manifest. And then this story, you have the bookends of the exhausted son of man that can sympathize with humanity. And then you have the deity of God that could shut down the wind and the waves. Who is this God man that is in the boat with us? It's, it's pretty freaky. But when I understand the deity of God and that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present at once, I'm comforted. And then when I realize that he understands humanity and the writer of Hebrews does it the best, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but when every, all points was tempted with, temp, uh, with sin, yet without sin. He was in all points tempted, yet without sin. So Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted, to be tempted, to go through human struggles, but he never succumbed to sin. But he's also all-powerful. So you see, it's the best of both worlds as I have those two things in tension. Jesus understands me. Therefore, I have a sympathetic high priest. I don't come to a cold, uh, grumpy, austere deity. I come to one who understands the human plight and the human experience. Jesus understands. And people will tell me, you know, no, he, he, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. It says, in all points, he was tempted. Whatever temptation has ever came through a thought or a mind of a person hearing this message, any thought or temptation, Jesus was tempted with it. Do you know what it's like to have temptation just kind of like ding in your mind all the time, just whatever that, whatever your thing is. Everybody has their own cup of tea when it comes to sin. Sin manifests itself in different people's lives. But John the Apostle says it's basically three forms that takes on different details. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's what my body appetites want, it's what my eyes want, or it's what I think I deserve. Because you see, I am the center of the universe, the pride of life. I should be able to be happy. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. And so if my body wants it, I go for it. If my eyes see it, I go after it. You see, sin just manifests itself from there. What's your body want? What you've been looking at? And why do you think you deserve it? Rather than wanting to honor the Lord and what he wants. So I need to come to a God that is powerful enough to help me and human enough to understand me. And that's who Jesus is. He is a God who is big enough to help you and human enough to understand you. And that's great. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's great. Jesus got a golf clap from part of you. That's all right. <laughs> but the reality is we are people in this fallen world and we are fellow strugglers. Right? That's what we should rename the church. For the weak, helpless, and strugglers come here because of the difficulties that we face in this life. But we worship a God that is amazing, all-powerful, and awesome. And the disciples in the boat, after the storm, in the storm, are dumbfounded by the presence of the one that is in their midst. And that I can have a relationship with this Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me that I might have everlasting life. 
is the most incredible human privilege on this planet to have a close relationship with him. You ever hang around name droppers? Name droppers are, you know, I was just hanging out with, uh, you know, Bill Clinton the other day. Well, in this day and age, that might not be a real compliment. But, <clears throat> you know, they, they hang out with this actor or this celebrity. And I've been, you know, I would, and they just do all this name dropping. And it, it's amazing. People that are into it, I mean, it, once you know them, I've done little experiments in my mind being around name droppers before. And just in, in 10 minutes of conversation, you know, listening to them, I'm wondering how many names are they going to drop within 10 minutes to impress this new person they're meeting. A boom, a boom, a boom. And they're just drop, James, dropping names like crazy. But we have, honestly, not in some kind of weird superficial way, you and I, we know the Son of God. And we know his father who sent him to love us, that we might have a relationship with the father and the son. And the precious Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus said, if you obey me, my father and I are going to come make our home inside of you. God lives inside of me. Right? So whatever the storm is out here, whatever the fear is out here, whatever the anxiety is out here, the God that I love and serve is in here. So he never leaves me or forsakes me. No matter even when I'm stumbling and falling on my face and failing in a way that these disciples, Jesus doesn't give up on them because they're doubting, even though he asks him, why are you afraid? <laughs> and why have you no faith? How, how is it that you have no faith? God knows what he's working with. This is, <laughs> I mean, in this day of wordsmithing, you know, we should just grow up joking if you're struggling, right? My cousin was in special ed. So we would joke about this. No longer can you have humor, right? Because that's a bad thing. But in a way of, you know, when you uh, experience, you know, kind of telling on yourself, right? I'm in the special ed class. I forget all the time. I fall short. I forget. I I need special tutoring in my spiritual walk with God. How about you? We are simply struggling through this experience, seeking to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And the apostles, they are constantly the object lesson. And people, are, people diss on the disciples so much. I think when you get to heaven, there's going to be a whole, all 12 are going to be lined up like, I'm going to just punch you right in the mouth. You've been making fun. No, it's heaven. That's not going to be the way it is. But people have been making fun of the apostles for a long time. And you would think he, Jesus would have just given up on the apostles and given us the B-apostles. Because they, no, they're just like us. They're just like us. And that's why we're comforted through the lessons Jesus teaches them. So I feel in a sense today, this week, as I, I was in the boat with the guys and I learned this stuff. I learned I can trust his promises. I learned he cares about me. I learned he's in total control. And I learned that he's the God-man that is not only powerful enough to calm the storm, but he's also the one that is human enough to understand my human weakness to minister to me. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he's close to you when you are in the eye of the storm or going through the storm of your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and pray that your spirit would meet us in a special way for the hearts that are here today. Lord, we truly... Um, are broken people. 
we need your help and comfort to strengthen us as we go through the adversities of life. So, Lord, I just pray for those who are fearful, those who are, um, have no faith this moment, that you would remind them of who you are and your great love for them. And even though it may seem that their circumstances are out of control, you're totally in control. So help us, Lord, now with the personal, intimate details of each one of our lives to meet us and to show yourself strong on our behalf in the midst of these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, I just want to encourage you that the the prayer team is going to be down here in front. They'd love to pray for you, minister to you, encourage you in whatever they can. And may the Lord uh, bless you as you walk with him and his grace and his wonderful peace this week. Let's worship him with this focus. 